nearly a year into the pandemic, and only now are the people who have kept our pantries full getting vaccinated to protect themselves from COVID-19. A lot of our stores that we represent, especially Safeway and CVS, are actually administering the vaccines at their locations. And um, we've negotiated agreements with employers in those locations to also vaccinate the workers in those stores and make it available to other folks. Uh, so we're doing everything we can, uh, you know, a full court press to, to make our members aware that they're eligible to make appointments and go and get the vaccine. I'm Mel Baker filling in for Laura Wenis. This is Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org. Grocery store employees, food service workers, and as agricultural workers in San Francisco and much of the Bay Area are now eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. Eleven months ago, I spoke with Jim Araby, Director of Strategic Campaigns for United Food and Commercial Workers Local 5 in San Francisco, about a deal that had just been struck to have hazard pay to grocery store workers who are putting themselves at risk every day in the earliest and most confusing days of the pandemic. I'm grateful to welcome Jim back today as part of our ongoing series of Essential Workers. Jim, thanks for speaking with us again. Uh, just to remind listeners, tell us about all the different people that are represented by UFCW Local 5. Sure. So um, we represent grocery workers, retail drug workers, cannabis workers, uh, agricultural workers, uh, workers that work in uh, non-food retail environments like Macy's, uh, Seize Candy. That's the gamut about that. You know, so just workers mostly that have been working since the beginning of the pandemic. There's been a lot of back and forth about that hazard pay I mentioned at the top, and we want to go back and talk about that a little later. Sure. But, I, you know, vaccines is the thing right now. And here in San Francisco, just this uh, week, around the 24th, uh, grocery store workers and ag workers became eligible for getting the vaccine. Has the union been trying to help organize that for people to help them figure out how they can get vaccinated and where they can get vaccinated? Have you been? Yes. So uh, at the state level, uh, state council has sat on the, you know, the advisory commission that the governor created to sort of roll out the vaccine program. We've been intricately involved in that. And then, um, and then at the local level, uh, as the tier system, you know, has been implemented, you know, we have, we've been having conversations with uh, local departments of public health directly with us, you know, to sort of figure out how to get in contact with our members. And actually just yesterday, uh, because, as you said, you know, a lot of the counties in the Bay have moved to Tier 1B, which is where essential workers like ag and food workers are. Uh, so just yesterday, we blasted our 28,000 members uh, on our email list and sent them links to the different sites so they can actually make a um, make an appointment. Our reps also now understand what they do. So, you know, we're doing everything we can to get the message out there that workers are uh, workers are eligible and they should go get their vaccine. In addition, you know, a lot of our stores that we represent, especially Safeway and CVS, are actually administering the vaccines at their locations. And um, we've negotiated agreements with employers in those locations to also vaccinate the workers in those stores and make it available to other folks. Uh, so we're doing everything we can, 
uh, you know, a full court press to to make our members aware that they're eligible to make appointments and go and get the vaccine. You know, and it's been a really confusing thing as to there were people that were called essential early on that were allowed to continue working under certain circumstances, but that that essential category hasn't included everybody that's going to be able to be vaccinated within that essential category is just a limited number of people, grocery store, ag and mm. food worker, food service workers. So some of your people will still be left out of that category. Yeah, correct. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, right now we're suffering the consequence of, you know, supply, right? There's just not enough supply. And so how do you actually get the vaccine into people that need it most or that can, uh, or to prevent the spread? You know, there's a big debate about that, you know, and in the beginning it was confusing because, you know, the, the state essentially said, you know, we're going to do this by science. And then all of a sudden it switched and, it, you know, it was like people, it was going to be people 75 and older and people in the essential industries. And then it switched and they said everyone's 65 and older first and healthcare workers. And then it switched again, you know, where they, they then started saying that, you know, essential workers can now get it. So it's been, it's been confusing. We've tried to navigate those waters. Um, but ultimately it's really about the lack of supply that we have this tiered system in the first place. Once the supply increases, you know, I think, you know, and hopefully that happens over the next, you know, couple few weeks, it's more about just making sure people know where to get it, right? And we've tried to help our members navigate that as as we've gone through. And then within all of that, uh, is that different among your workers will have different providers. So mm -hmm. different providers mean different things. So some who may not have a health plan are going to have to get it through the county, more or less. People will have different health insurance policies. You have the advantage that some of your Safeway workers, Safeway itself, within its pharmacies, will be able to provide it. So that's got to just be an incredibly complex and and difficult to explain. And just the rollout of that has got to have been really challenging. Yeah, it has been. And we've just tried to keep it as simple as possible and just, you know, say, here are the locations you can go to. You know, we, we direct a lot of people to the county websites first because those county websites, you know, I think, you know, Santa Clara County, Alameda County, you know, Contra Costa County, San Francisco County, they've done actually, you know, a fairly decent job of, explanations and when people go in and put in their different pieces i think that the challenge has been more so than the what you had laid out around whether you get it from the county or you get it from your private insurance the challenge has been just actually getting appointments right you know because there was such a pent-up demand you know it was kind of like when uh, it's almost like when you when everyone wants to go see the you know the, the concert and those tickets go on sale right away right like you gotta sort of have like three computers open calling right lines. yeah so um <laughs> So, you know, we've just tried to be very clear about like, you know, both through our communications on the membership side and on our trust fund side to communicate to our members, you know, here are the locations, this is what you do and be persistent and consistent about it. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we're trying to manage is the um, misinformation. While it's less, it's still out there. Uh, and we want to make sure, you know, we can't force anyone to get the vaccine, no employer can, but we're trying to forcefully advocate that they should get it and providing information as much as we can to people and having those conversations with folks when necessary to get it, you know, to, to protect themselves, their families. And I think for the most part, our members, because they've been dealing with this for so long, they, they kind of get the seriousness of it. What kind of misinformation have you been hearing? I know some communities of color have uh, rightly and understandably due to yeah. historical reasons have, have been distrustful of some of these 
uh, vaccinations and such. Have you been trying to deal with that? Have you uh, internet and social media misinformation? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's yeah, the, the different communities are exactly right. We've had, you know, I mean, I've had a couple conversations myself with some of our members, and um, you know, it's like I tell them, I, you know, I'm going to get it. I got, you know, I have folks that get. It. We've got some of our staff that've already gotten it. No, but we also understand and just, you know, just sort of just say, hey, you know, we got to be able to do this. You know, you know, millions of people have already gotten the vaccine. Nothing's happened to them. Right. You know, so for the most part, you know, outside of select few things that you see in the media that are blown up, you know, but it's not like, you know, we have a high percentage of people getting sick or, you know, or uh, huge allergic reactions. It's like that one random story of somebody getting it or something like that. So. You know, we tried. We've just tried to deal with it the best we can with, with factual information. I think the other piece of it is now with the story related to the new strains that are out. You know of, of COVID and the fear again. You know of like these new, more deadly strains. You know we actually uh, uh, try to let folks know. I mean, I'm not a doctor, right? First of all, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist. You know. Uh, I, I mean, I read what's out there and we, we do try the best we can to get the right information out. But even with these new strains of the, of the virus, the vaccine has proven effective against the deadliness of those strains, the lethalness of those strains. So we're just trying to say, look, at the end of the day, this is about preventing the spread and preventing people from getting really sick. Right. You know, and so that's what we really need to we need to mm-hmm. do to get yes. everything back to normal. So. So what are you hearing? So any early uh, stories from people about uh, their challenges in getting the vaccine, uh, you know, wait times or how long and challenging it's been for them? Yeah, we've heard a lot of frustration. I mean, we're starting to have some members like in the in Alameda County uh, because they have the mass vaccination site there. They're starting to break through a little bit, right? That, you know, over there at the Coliseum, you know, can do right upwards of 6,000 a day. Uh, you know, in Santa Clara County, they have the, you know, the mass vaccine. So places where there's like a, mass vaccination site it's a little bit easier for folks to get but you know we're just there is a frustration because again i think for the most part there's this pent-up demand and people want to get you know the vaccine so they can have a chance to return to normalcy and so it's really dealing with that more more than anything else you know and just just telling people they got to continue to go now you know cvs and safeway have these open appointments we're fine we're just trying to find out where the open appointments are too you know our reps go out and you know, we try to let our members know as best they can, you know, where to go. So when we first spoke, you had had one uh, of your workers who had passed away, who was working in a warehouse and had mm-hmm. died. That number has gone up. What, mm-hmm. how, what's the toll this has taken on some of uh, the people that you've been representing? So in Northern California, in our jurisdiction, we've had over 2,000 members uh, get infected with COVID over this pandemic. Uh, and, you know, really the peak, this whatever wave it was, you know, in December, January, you know, that number really doubled, you know, prior to that, there was sort of a, a slow, you know, I don't want to say slow, but, you know, it, it was a little bit more consistent. And then those two, uh, those two months, it was just incredible. The amount of, amount of people that were getting infected, the, you know, we, we have not, as far as we know, had, uh, a lot of our members pass away. You know, we, we've had a, I think a total of like four, you know, which, you know, four is too many. Uh, but, you know, nationally, I think, you know, within the UFCW, it's, it's over 150. Um, or even, it's probably even greater, you know. It's, so, um, you know, I think the, the biggest challenge 
had been, you know, the, just basically people burning through their sick time, right? People trying to actually survive when they had a quarantine, right? You know, making sure that, you know, people could, mm-hmm. could actually, um, you know, still survive economically. I think the other piece of it is when the CDC changed their guidelines around what, um, what, when people could return back to work. You know, there was a lot of confusion because some employers were saying you need to have two negative tests. This is back in November, December. You know, you need to have two negative tests before you come back. Mm-hmm. And the CDC changed the guidelines and said, and, and it was better because it was more symptomatic driven than just test driven, right? Because, you know, when you got the, some people that uh, contracted the virus and be in your system for three months, even though you're not, you're not, um, you're not contagious. And so that, you know, we, we had to really work and wrangle through some of that you know, to sort of push back on a couple of employers, not of many, but, you know, that, you know, to follow the CDC guidelines around, around, um, around uh, symptoms, showing symptoms more than, more than testing negative. Um, so, you know, I think it's been a roller coaster ride for, for our members and for our union uh, to really try to, uh, you know, manage in, in, and protect and lead uh, with our members, you know, through this crisis and making sure that they feel protected and that employers are accountable to them, you know, because our employers have actually, you know, taking away the human part of it. Uh, and I don't want to disregard that our employers don't care about the people they work that work for them, but at the same time, they've tremendously benefited financially from this pandemic in a, in a much greater way than our, than our members have. So, um, and that's why we've, you know, started to, I know we want to talk about, it, that's why we started to you know, really push for this hazard pay across the bay and across the, you know, across the state. Well, let's talk about that. Now, early on, uh, you'd pushed for that and there was hazard pay being given by both unionized stores and non-unionized stores that had to kind of step up and do that uh, to match the unionized mm-hmm. stores. And that went on through June, I understand. Yes. Yep. And then, then that was dropped mm-hmm. and then so now you've kind of come back and you're working on it at a county level or a city level mm-hmm. uh, across the entire region. Mm-hmm. And uh, Oakland, I think, recently did it. San Francisco has done some sort of urging legislation. Mm-hmm. So where are you at with that process? And I know that's actually a much steeper. The legislation is more than I think it was like two dollars, right? Hazard pay initially, and now yeah. it's you're asking for five dollars. Yeah. So it's like the voluntary thing was was much less expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, beginning of March of last year, I think this, the, the employers recognized and realized that, you know, there was a tremendous amount of anxiety amongst the workers and um, they also were getting, they were the only places open and, you know, they were making a lot of money and they were busy stores. And so I think they did it, you know, as a way to, you know, one to show appreciation. I don't want to disregard that, you know, and, and they did it for three months as you said, it ended in June, but the pandemic was still around, you know, the stores were still busy. We were still like, you know, sheltering in place to an extent. Uh, and, um, we tried over the summer to engage our employers around reinstating the hazard pay uh, and the employers continually refused to do that. And then, you know, and then the winter came and we had the, this, this, whatever wave it was, the third or fourth wave, whatever you want to call the pandemic. And we were, you know, we decided we're going to start going to cities uh, to do it. If the, if the employer doesn't act, we're going to get the cities to, uh, long, the city of Long Beach was the first to enact it back in January, uh, in Northern California, in our area. Um, we've now had five cities do it. So we've had Oakland was the first and then 
We had San Leandro. We have uh, Berkeley, South San Francisco, and San Jose have all enacted some form of hazard pay. Uh, you're right. In the beginning, it was you know the, the, the employers were mostly paying between two two dollars an hour. Some paying three. Uh, we decided to do five because you know these grocery companies over the last year have made tremendous amount of profits, and so we think you know these companies can afford it. It's for a limited time. We're not saying you need to continue to do it. We're just saying you do it until until the um, until we're back into the yellow zone, yellow tier, or you know, 120 days. A couple of cities have done things a little differently. Uh, South San Francisco did 90 days, but I actually said you have to start, you know, from February 11th, even though it just passed yesterday. The the other thing that happened is the city of Long Beach was um, sued by the California Grocery Association. They've been very aggressively pushing back on a legal uh, strategy. Uh, they tried to get a TRO, a temporary restraining order, to the implementation of the of the legislation when it first came out, the judge denied that. And then they tried to get a temporary injunction to stop it until it can be litigated. Uh, we had a hearing uh, two days ago and the judge denied that. So uh, I think the grocers now have to pursue litigation. And I don't know if that's a smart strategy on their part because litigation could take months and years, right? And we're going to be out of this pandemic and are they going to want to spend that much money on attorney's fees to, and, and, and then what is, what is the, what is the reciprocity restitution they get if they win? And they, and if you look at, and again, I'm not an attorney, but if you look at that, they were denied a TRO, they were denied a temporary injunction. Clearly the path of their legal arguments aren't strong enough to even get those. So, you know, I think they would have to come back and, and, and recalibrate. So I think the other thing that they're trying to do, uh, is try to scare people. So Kroger has closed uh, two stores in Long Beach and they said it was because of the hazard pay in Long Beach. They followed up in the same company. They're the only company. Uh, they closed two stores in Seattle because of the hazard pay in Seattle, supposedly. Disappointing, but not surprising that the, these um, these companies would do that. Uh, but I think we have some great, you know, local electeds that are, that are, you know, uh, are, you know, saying that enough is enough. These workers deserve, you know, some form of, some incentive, right, to come to work and, in, 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 uh, you know, uh, extra pay for the work they do. These are grocery workers. These weren't workers that were signing up for a hazardous job when they first got it and it became that. And so they think, you know, these companies can afford it because most of the hazard pay ordinances are for large companies only, 300 or more employees, 500 or more employees. Um, we're, we're not, you know, we're not, they're not passing it to, you know, for the small mom and pop grocery stores. These are big companies that can afford it. Let me step in with a couple of comments. Washington, D.C.-based think tank the Brookings Institution found that Albertsons, which owns Safeway, saw a 153% jump in profits in the first two quarters of 2020 compared to 2019. However, industry representatives, including Safeway, have said they have spent considerable resources on personal protective gear for employees, making stores safer for customers, and complying with other COVID-19 health guidelines. The California Grocers Association has filed federal and state lawsuits against city and county efforts to impose hazard pay, claiming that such measures violate both the U.S. and California Constitution's equal protection clauses by singling out certain grocers and ignoring other groups that employ frontline workers. It also argues that the ordinance is preempted by the Federal National Labor Relations Act, which, quote, protects the integrity of of the collective bargaining process. Grocers Association President Ron Fong issued a statement late last month in which he said, quote, 
In addition to clearly violating federal and state law, the extra pay mandates will harm customers and workers. A $5 an hour mandate is a 28% average increase in labor costs for grocery stores. That is too big a cost for any grocery retailer to absorb without consequences." Unquote. Now back to our discussion with Jim Arabi, Director of Strategic Campaigns for United Food and Commercial Workers, Local 5. Let's cycle back to another thing. In our uh, previous discussion, we were talking about Prop 22, which was going to be on the ballot. Your thinking at the time was you were hopeful that Prop 22 might fail because a lot of people were relying on and uh, were seeing, you know, the value of of delivery drivers and such who were included along with Uber and Lyft, the, the people that were doing were doing home delivery and such. Prop 22 passed by a fairly wide margin in the state, and that has led that led Albertsons to make all of its unionized home delivery uh, people into uh, basically uh, gig workers. You're right. Uh, Albertsons, uh, basically in many markets across, well, mostly in California, but in other markets too, announced a deal with DoorDash um, and laid off all their drivers, except for the ones in the Bay Area, because we have a union contract uh, and they are not, they are not laying off the union drivers. We actually just finished the contract and just implemented it. Uh, they do use DoorDash in the Bay Area. Um, but they, but, but we do have drivers that actually drive for the company and that's because they have a union contract and, you know, you, you, there's, um, federal law that essentially says you can't replace union workers with non-union workers that have the same set of skills, right? You know, you can't do that. Uh, there's no higher level of skill in a DoorDash driver than a Safeway driver. And if anything, I would say the Safeway driver is more, you know, skilled because they do that for a career a DoorDash driver as we Hearing the arguments of the campaign, like it's just a side hustle, right? So, um, so you right. got the mm-hmm. argument. Um, you know, I I think I was I'm always, I'm, I'm trying to I, I try to be an optimistic person, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know I, you got to be when you do like union work and organizing work, right? You gotta you gotta be that prisoner of hope, and you know always want to like make hope that things will change. Uh, but you know, we were Prop Twenty Two. We were. Uh, outspent, you know, 10 to one or 15 to one, you know, I mean, they had $220 million, you know, that they spent, we had, we had 20 million, you know, and, and not only that, they, uh, not only did they have the money they spent on commercials and Facebook ads and all that other stuff, they also had all their drivers and all, and all their customers on the app. And like, you actually had to sign on at, you know, at a moment you had, when you were signing onto the app, you had to like watch a prop 22, yes on 22 uh, video. Right. So it was just like they 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 Mm -hmm. they had that whole piece that wasn't even accounted for in their two hundred twenty million dollars that they spent on the campaign. So um, it was just a deluge. And, you know, we lost. Um, We lost the battle. I don't think we lost the war. Um, We're already seeing it. You know, that one of the promises that the the gig companies said was, you know, if twenty two fails, prices are going to go up. Well, twenty two passed and prices still went up. Right. And then they said they were going to give benefits to their drivers and drivers are going to get increased in pay. Drivers pay has actually gone down. So, you know, it was basically a, a 200 million, a 200 million grift. You know, we were all grifted, you know, and, uh, um, hmm. you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, you know, I, I, you know, there's a court battle now. Right. You know, they were the uh, SEIU, along with uh, drivers from DoorDash, sued, you know, saying that the, that the seven eighths requirement was unconstitutional. So, you know, we'll see. Um, 
we, 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 uh, we carry on, we organize drivers. We, you know, we go out, we do the work and you know, we'll see where this all ends up. And uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up was you uh, represent cannabis workers. So you're trying to organize an industry that is still illegal as far as the federal government is concerned. That's got to be a real challenge because you've got an industry that is still having to work with cash. It, it has real limited access to uh, to uh, credit and loans, and it's got to be a really a real challenge to organize. But you were able to actually organize some uh, the some dispensaries in the Mission District and things mm-hmm. and some Santa Cruz businesses. What are the challenges in organizing uh, an emerging field? That's got to be interesting. Um, yeah, we've had, you know, we've had pretty good success the last year. I mean, it's interesting on the whole, just we have this pandemic, people can't, you know, people can't, you know, get to see each other. And here we are organizing workers and getting them into the union despite that. Right. And it just shows that, you know, it's never that people it's, it's, it's never a question of whether workers want the union. It's a question of whether the union wants workers and the, you know, wants the workers. Right. Uh, and I think, uh, in the cannabis industry in particular, there's a, there's a, there's, uh, the challenge I would say more than anything is to understand which companies are going to survive, you know, uh, which companies are actually going to survive as we go through another wave of, um, uh, large, larger businesses coming in and, you know, buying out the smaller businesses and, you know, the, you know, as the, as the market becomes more uh, regulated and, and becomes more accepted. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we don't want to go out and organize every single little mom and pop shop. You know, we want to figure out who are the players that we can organize to set the standard for the rest of the industry. I think that's the bigger challenge. Um, you know, all the elite, you know, the sort of banking issues and all those other issues. Uh, that's a challenge for the industry. And ultimately, it's a challenge for the union, right? Because the, the industry needs to have banking. But it, it, it's not a challenge for us necessarily because if these stores are open and they're making money and, you know, and uh, we can go out and organize them, you know, uh, and that's what we've done. You know, and I think uh, we there's good players in there we've partnered with uh, that, you know, that, are, that see the union as part of their growth, uh, growth strategy. Uh, and then there's other ones that want to fight us, you know, and... Um, and so, you know, we're waging battles. We want a $75,000 back pay settlement, you know, for workers at have a heart, you know, this year after in Oakland, after 11 months of mediated, you know, negotiations and dispute, we just want a $30,000 arbitration uh, decision against another employer that, you know, they illegally fired the worker. Um, and as we stack up these victories and as we tell that story, um, I think workers are going to see in this industry in particular that the unions are valuable thing and you know and i also think it hope it sends a message to the the employers that you know why don't you work with the union not work against it because you know we're going to be here and these workers the other great thing is uh it's changing but these workers that work in this industry are much more and i think it's just a generational thing on a whole right younger workers are much more aligned with the union in our politics and they see it as a way for them you know, to, to advance and have some protections. And I think that's, it's not just relative in the cannabis industry. I think it's more broadly within a this sort of younger, I'm 41. So, uh, you know, but this younger generation of workers that are coming up, you know, that are like, you know, they, they've seen over the last, you know, 20 years, 30 years, what's happened with this free market idea and that like everyone's on their own. And they're like, I, I think the union's a good idea. Uh, and I think the unions have to take advantage of that. And we have, you know, we, we're, we're throwing in, we're, 
organizing. We just, we just filed for an election with uh, Imperfect Foods, another food delivery company. You know, we're going out, we're organizing workers. If workers want to join the union, you know, call us, you know, we'll be here. We'll help you, we'll help you build some power in the, in the, in the company you work for. Well, Jim, thanks for joining us on Civic again. Yeah, absolutely. Love to be here and uh, happy to come back anytime. That was Jim Araby, Director of Strategic Communications for United Food and Commercial Workers, Local 5. This has been part of our Essential Workers series. I'm Mel Baker. You've been listening to Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.